Today's scripture is coming from the book of Exodus, chapter 1, verses 7. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray before we start the message. God, our helper, by your Holy Spirit, open our minds that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may be led into your truth and taught your will for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And so today we're going to start on a new series called Exodus. And I'm very excited about Exodus. I'm very excited about any series, but Exodus especially because I think it has a lot to do with our church and what we're going through. And uh, I just want to give a brief intro uh, Exodus is part of the Torah or the law. In Greek, it's called the Pentateuch, penta meaning five, and the tuch meaning scrolls or the five scrolls. So you have the five first books of the Old Testament. Exodus is the second book. And so we have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then we have these first five books. They are compiled to to, to these five books that we call Torah and Pentateuch. And interestingly enough, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are the Greek names for these books. Uh, it wasn't, they didn't have Greek back then, they had Hebrew. So in Hebrew, there were no official names of these scrolls or books. They just called it by the first line of the book. So... Genesis starts like, the, like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so the first word is breshith, which means in the beginning. So they just called that first book in the beginning. So if you wanted to read Genesis, you would say, can you please take out the scroll in the beginning? In the same way, Exodus was um, <coughs> called uh, Shemuth. And then you have Vayikra, which is Leviticus and Bamidbar, which is Numbers, and Devarim, which is Deuteronomy, which is, you know, I, I know you're all excited to, to learn about this, but there's a point to all this. Genesis starts out with Breshith, which is in the beginning. Then you go to Exodus, and the first word actually isn't Shemuth, which is the names, right? The first word actually is Ve'ele, Ve'ele, which is, and these are the names, right? Ve'ele, Shemuth, and these are the names. If I went to Leviticus, Ve'ikra, which is, and the Lord called Moses. And if I go to Numbers, we see, and these are the words of the Lord to Moses. And then we go to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, um, just for your information, FYI. And this is for free. Deuteronomy just means second law, but it doesn't mean it's the second law. It means um, 
just a reinforcing of that law a second time. So Deuteronomy actually starts off with just saying, uh, these are the words, devarim, right? But if you continue to look at every single beginning line of the Old Testament, all the way until the wisdom literature and then the prophets, which is Job, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. I mean, if you're doing the Bible reading, you're, you're getting all of this. It all starts with v, which is and. And. So except Genesis and Devarim, which is Deuteronomy, it all starts with the word v or and. And you can argue, well, Nehemiah and First Chronicles, I looked it up. Nehemiah and First Chronicles don't necessarily start with the v, but they just give a short intro and then they go in with the and. There's a reason for this. So besides in the beginning, every other book starts with and these are the names and the Lord called to Moses and these are, these are the words of Moses. So it continues to go with and. You have to wonder why. It's because the story doesn't begin in Exodus. The story doesn't begin in Exodus. Interestingly enough, I would like to say that Exodus is quoted by Jesus a lot. So this is kind of fun stuff. Exodus is quoted by Jesus a lot. Um, scholars, I think we, people have put it to about fourth, next to Psalm and Deuteronomy and Isaiah. Exodus is quoted that many times by Jesus. Deuteronomy is one of the most and he used this, uh, he, used to, he used to quote Deuteronomy, um, especially when he was tempted by the devil. Remember the wilderness, Jesus would go out into the wilderness, and he would quote all these things, the Bible, back to Jesus. That was all from Deuteronomy. Uh, the most beloved book, according to BibleGateway.com, and that's, the, that's um, the online Bible you can do, uh, people that click on this book the most is Psalms. Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. And so that's the mo one of the most popular psalms. Psalm 119 happens to be the longest psalm, and so people like that. Um, it is the most quoted uh, scripture by Jesus as well. And interesting love, one of the most popular psalms, also Psalm 91 the promises of God's protection. So people love Psalm 91. And even more interestingly is uh, the devil uses Psalm 91 to tempt Jesus too. So the devil knows the scripture. He said, oh yeah, yeah, this is the scripture a lot of people like. So he's not going to let you come into any harm. So jump off this building. And he quotes Psalm 91. And uh, Jesus quotes back Deuteronomy. But I want to say that we can know all these things, but the reason why this is so important is the story doesn't begin with Exodus. We need to understand this going into Exodus. You can't read New Moon when Edward leaves Bella without reading Twilight first and understanding why he has to because he's endangering Bella's life by just being close to her. I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding. That, that's, that story was garbage. I'm, I just, I, I mean, if you have to get glitter on your skin because you get sun, I'm really kidding. I know there's some Twilight lovers out there, and I just totally butchered it from you. But um, it's a joke. 
unhinged, but it's, it's like, you know, gold, ceiling, gold uh, dust falling from the ceiling. It's not, that's not true. And um, I would say it's more like watching 22 Jump Street without watching 21 Jump Street and not getting the irony that it's the exact same plot, but it did almost twice as well in the box office. And you thought I was going to give you a serious example, but I'm not. But think of any good series. Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, the Infinity War series, or Avengers. Someone here, I think, uh, saw the Avengers movies from the very beginning in Iron Man 1. And I looked it up. It's about 31 hours to catch up. If you want to catch up to the new Infinity War movie, Infinity War movie, then you need to watch about 31 hours. So someone here actually did that. But Exodus is the same way. You can't just jump into Exodus because the story doesn't begin there. And I would like to add that the story is not over. The story doesn't end in Exodus either. Genesis ends with them being in Egypt. Exodus ends with, yes, there's a cloud and fire that was with them, but they're still on the journey to the promised land. Leviticus ends with these are the commandments that are given to them in Mount Sinai, so they're still in Mount Sinai. Numbers says that the commands were given in Jordan near Jericho, so they're not, still not over, close, but no, not there yet, no cigar. In Deuteronomy, Moses is still alive, so yeah, not even close. So God is leading his people on a journey a journey to a home he promised them. And if anything, before we start, we should get that the journey is important. The journey is important. In fact, if we're talking about a destination, we can argue that the Israelites never get there. They never get there. Even when they do cross the Jordan and Josh, with Joshua and they win amazing battles, they still don't get the entire land that they were promised. They keep messing up, and yes, God keeps helping them. But if you continue with the Israelite lineage, even to the Jewish people of today, they did not get that promised land that they were due. The journey has always pointed then to God himself. And that journey is fulfilled when the scriptures are fulfilled, when Jesus Christ comes himself and says today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing you know to say that the journey is not important though is foolishness it would be analogous to saying that your wedding date is everything and the only thing no if anything it's just the beginning you know married ladies and to be married ladies we have a few here that rock on your finger, how valuable is it? Quite valuable, you might say. Yet I would add and say it is nothing compared to the promise that is to come. That rock is a promise. It is not the end prize. How foolish would you have to be to treasure a rock and not what it stood for. It's a promise, yes, of the promise to come, but it's a promise. The love that is promised by the man that gave you that rock is why that rock should have any value at all. 
So if you value that rock over the one who gave it to you, or if even if you go the other way and say, I don't value the rock at all, I can confidently say that both of you will have issues and you're going to continue to have issues until you get that right in the very least. And so yes, the journey is important. And in Exodus, we will see a lot of it. And we will explore together what it means to be on this journey home together. Who's leading us? Who's guiding us? Who's giving us the supply? And how are we to respond? So that was my intro to the intro. And in the intro, it says, and, and these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob each and his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, and all these descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. So and, which is the conjunctive adverb, and we talk about this a lot, and connects the story of Exodus with the story of Genesis before it. And says Exodus does not stand alone. And what then? You know, we could go on a lot about it, but let me just briefly touch upon one main theme. And there were promises given to Abraham that we should remember. In Genesis 12, it says, God says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. In case Abraham didn't get it, God says it again, the chapter after that in 13. He says, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. And this is when he was separating with his nephew Lot, northward and southward and eastward and westward for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. And what? Yeah, Abraham was given this promise, but he had one kid and died clutching onto the promise unfulfilled in his lifetime. And what? The land that they were supposed to inherit wasn't Egypt, but that's where they are now, and it's a foreign land. And what? And what the story continues. God is not done yet. Just to be encouraging, this is an incredibly encouraging passage. I just want to read for you um, from Hebrews. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him, as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, 
and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So this promise, this faith that the people of God hold, we start with and. And these are the names of the sons of Israel. Seventy people came to Egypt, but not all 70 came down. 70 were there in Egypt. 66 went down, and four, including Joseph, his wife, and his two sons, added to make 70. And then it says that in verse 6, his brothers and Joseph, that generation died. But, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. How much so? How much were they fruitful? How much did they multiply? Well, to get a picture of how much they were, just 12 chapters later, and we're going to get to it when we get to it, but I just want to give you a little taste. In chapter 12, they did count. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. In the book of Numbers, they have that number of men over 20 who was able to fight. That's why they say on foot was 603,550. And if you have a conservative estimate, if you have able-bodied men over 20 at 600,000, including other men, Women and children, conservative estimates have it at two to three million people. Two to three million people from 70. That's more than I can ever think of of any nation, even in modern day history. And so we have two to three million people. In fact, scholars are just so confused how this could be. They're like, how can they walk? How can they eat? I mean, if you, if you ate like one sheep a day per family, then you would need like 5.3 million sheep. Uh, and then, I, you know, I'd be reading these things and I would just say, well, people don't eat one sheep a day. This isn't America. I mean, it was back then. We don't, we don't go crazy if we don't have protein like in 24 hours. People, people didn't go crazy back then. But anyway, an American wrote it. Um, but... I just want to say this and share this because this passage can easily be skipped over. I'm like, hey, come on, let's get let's get to Moses. Skip. Isn't this book about Moses? Skip. And we would skip and see the amazing thing God is doing, even though we may not think so. God is still working in the middle of the in-betweens in life. He is working. How did the Israelites get this numerous? You know, it doesn't say because they didn't do anything in and of themselves to make this happen. Nothing worthwhile for the author to note. 
we see here that even when we think we are in the lulls and the just the filler seasons in life, God is working in this in-between season, in this in-between season, in this in-between season, God is showing us that he is doing something miraculous. In this in-between season, God is making his church strong, grounding us in his word, and teaching us how to pray and love one another. Whether you realize it or not, he has and is making you stronger and stronger by the day. And sure, you may not have noticed. It may take maybe a visit somewhere else to another gathering, but people come back and say, he is. And we have to trust him in this season. Do you know who got to leave Egypt? If you were an Israelite, you got to leave Egypt. All you had to do this basically nothing. It wasn't your good works that got you here. It wasn't your good looks that got you here. Although there are many good-looking people here, it wasn't your good looks. It wasn't anything that you could have possibly done. In fact, if we're really honest, isn't it just the opposite? If anything, shouldn't we have hindered this honor and this privilege of becoming a child of Christ? All they did was be Israelites, and they knew one thing. They needed a Savior. And Jesus says, who are my mothers and brothers? And looking about those who sat around them and said, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. What did they do? Who got to have fruitful multiplication? Was it a successful children's program? Was it the consistent affinity group meetings supplying people with food? And I'm not just knocking on it. I think they are really nice things. They are nice things, but they are not the thing. Not even close. Who got to have fruitful multiplication? Didn't they gather around Jesus and listen to what he was saying? You know why we have to believe and follow the Bible? Because we believe that God made us and he knows how this works. He knows more than us. He's the one that instituted and created marriage. So when he says things about marriage, the husband do this, the wife do this, it's because we believe he knows better than us. And what about elders and deacons? Instituting elders and deacons. Don't we all have something we've grown up with watching? However, we believe God is the one that instituted elders and deacons. And in the Bible, God is showing us how it works. How about our family makeup? God made this. And he knows how it works. God knows. You know, David, the king, messed up really big time. But in the Psalms, he goes, I love the law. I love it. He messed up big time. But he can say and confess he loves God's word. He knew it was everything he should be and everything he wasn't, and yet he still loved it. Israel never did well, actually, with a blessing. In fact, 
Every time someone in the Bible we see get a blessing, people always coming back and sharing with me, how can they be such idiots? And then they have to backtrack and say, actually, yeah, 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 I get it. I'm the idiot. I'm the idiot. But these Israelites, they're pretty big idiots, aren't they? I, I get it. I, I'm an idiot too at times. But these Israelites, I mean, if I got bread down from heaven, they called it manna and had all the protein I needed, I'd, I'd be pretty satisfied. I don't think I could complain. But Israel never did well with a blessing. Sometimes a whack to the head put him back into shape, but never really with a blessing. And But we need to learn from this, just as David did. We need a Savior. We cannot do this on our own. You need a Savior. You can't do this on your own. And because God loves you, he sent his son to save you by dying on the cross for the punishment you deserved. But the grave could not hold him, and he rose again to life. And so whoever believes in Jesus is now going to live in the fullness of life God intended for his people. And this is great news. Because in all of this, we recognize something. In this saving and this recognizing of a Savior, that we need a Savior, we realize we're not the sinner. And that's great. You know why that's such good news? It's because we don't have the burden. There's nothing that depends on us for salvation and that's awesome because we could not hold up that burden. And we've tried. We've tried to place it on people. But all that turns into is blame. If something goes wrong, it's Pastor Eugene's fault. He's the senior pastor. If something goes wrong, it's my parents' fault. They made me this way. If something goes wrong, and so we can't even hold the burden ourselves. So isn't that good news? That you couldn't hold the burden but someone else did. God took up that burden. And it is because, yes, God loves you, and we are not the source of his love. It's saying, without you, God isn't like lonely and be like, I need someone to love. And he sings this love song. That's not what happens. John knows this, and he gets it when he says, God is love. God is the source of love, and his love is what causes showers of blessing to pour down on our lives in this in-between season. I am so blessed that I could share with you and be a part of the church with you in our in-between season. Many people have been praying this, and we pray it every Saturday. People come up here on Sunday and our brother Charlie prayed this as well. But we are looking for a place and a house of worship. We're grateful for Eastern Christian for opening up their school to us. And I don't think we'll ever forget this in our life as CGS. But we are still looking. And we are praying that God lead us. But in this in-between season, I want us to have our eyes open and see God is the one leading us. And it is because he is love, he is teaching us and pouring out to us and showering on us his spirit 
showing us what's really important and what's not. If it's not important, let's cut it away and let's say, I thought this was really important, but I realized through this season it's not. Let's cut it away. And what's really important, let's get it in. Let's get it in. Join small groups. Read the 100-day Bible reading. Do these things. Share with one another how God has been blessing you. Learn to uplift and keep each other accountable. Encourage one another, especially throughout the week, because we don't have a place we can just go, let's just go to this place and have coffee. We don't have that, so we need to make an effort to do that. Let me have coffee with you, brother. Let me have coffee with you, sister. Let's do this together. Let's live life together. And God is teaching us what is important. God is the source of love and he's giving us that love. And in this season, we are to trust God and his leading for our lives and our church. So let's do that. As we journey on and we begin this amazing series and this book on Exodus, let's begin by trusting in God to lead us from season to season, from place to place on our journey home. Let's pray.